morning, everybody. Merry Christmas to you. You enjoying our mild December? It's just so great. Global warming is working out for us so well <laughs> here in Indiana. This past week, we had a Christmas party, a staff Christmas party. I uh, was, uh, got to go, and it was a great time. Um, it was uh, fun. There was a time uh, where the staff, very meaningful time, um, shared with Darren and Larie all that uh, they meant to each person, and uh, some tears were shed, and uh, it, was, it was fantastic. And um, I remember um, Pastor Clary uh, quoted from Kipling's great poem, If, and just so honored Darren. I, I quoted from uh, Marilyn Monroe, and uh, it was just a typical Christmas party. And uh, one of the things that people said was how much they loved to hear Darren preach, and how he uh, is so on target, never gets off on a tangent. It's just, you just know where he is at every minute. And I so admire his, his mind for being able to do that, to stay and not get off on these tangents. One of the most successful enterprises in the world is the global enterprise of hacking into computers. Uh, there are some of the most brilliant minds committed today to hacking into every computer system in the world. Many of these have Asperger's syndrome. They're brilliant people. They, they got into the underworld before their moral code was ever formed, and they have created an industry of getting your information, getting your money, getting all sorts of stuff out of our interneted compu uh, computer system uh, throughout the world. It's an amazing enterprise, just hacking into people's computers. People are, are uh, committed to implanting viruses and doing all sorts of stuff all over the world. It's a fabulous business to get into. You go to jail eventually, but uh, you make a lot of money. All of us have had our computers hacked. Not the laptop, but the necktop. All of us have a necktop computer. Our computer brains do more than any laptop could ever do, but they've been hacked into since the beginning of time. Satan has been committed to hacking into every one of our computers, and one of his most successful programs is the excuse implantation software that he has used. He has put these excuses into our brains and we use them and they prevent us from experiencing all that God would want us to experience. Probably the most common is that I, I can quit tomorrow. There's a good excuse. I can get my act together tomorrow. I don't have to do it today. I can always do it some other time. Or, um, well, I don't need to work on me. She's the problem. Why should I go to an Al-Anon meeting? He's the one that's got the drinking problem. Um, I don't need to go to church or small group. I need God and my Bible and me. That's all I need. That's it. Um, well, you know, if uh, she would just take care of my needs, I wouldn't need to use pornography. It's a, a big excuse. Of course, uh, I spend too much money, but that's all I get out of this relationship. Or... Uh, well, I wouldn't go to church. They're, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, you know, we've always got room for one 
more hypocrite here at church. So what's your excuse? What is it that's holding you back? What is that thing that you have up here that's the excuse to keep you from doing what God would want you to do? Satan's been hacking into computers, using excuses, and the thing that you see through uh, Scripture, you see people all through Scripture either not following God's plan or waiting till tomorrow to follow his plan. And the problem is that his excuse implantation program has created, all through the Bible, some very big butts. Eve was the first person who had a big butt. I don't know if you know that, but it's true. But the serpent made me eat it. Adam was the second person that had a big butt. But the woman you gave me is the one that caused me to eat the apple. Moses had a big butt. Oh, but I'm slow of speech and tongue and Jeremiah. But I'm too young to be able to do this. Gideon, but I'm too weak. Uh, in the New Testament, but I need to go examine this field I bought. But I've got these oxen. But I need to bury the dead. But I need to go say goodbye to these people. All sort everywhere throughout Scripture. But after but after but. And so you may be sitting there with a big butt. And, uh, and, and, and you're, you believe this lie or you use it as an excuse and, and as a result, you don't find, you don't live out what God wants you to do. Now, we're great excuse makers. In fact, you know, we, uh, if you go, uh, if you need an excuse, you can go online and for $14.95, you can get a physician's note to excuse you uh, from work. I, I looked at some uh, popular excuses for not working. And uh, one said, uh, I won't be in today. My fish is sick and I need to take it to the vet. Uh, another one, my favorite, was my cat is having kittens and I'm her Lamaze coach. See, we use excuses to not do whatever we need to do. I was a pretty good excuse maker when I was in college. Imagine this, I'm taking a course to study the Bible, the Old Testament, and I hadn't prepared for the final and so I came up with an excuse. I faked my father's voice. I called the professor, and I said that Steve would not be able to take the test. He was so sick. And I remember using these words, but he's a little fighter, and he'll be back, and he'll be able to take that exam. So I studied more and took the exam. And then I was a Southern Baptist. So if you're a Southern Baptist, you rededicate your life about every 90 days. So when I rededicated my life 90 days later, I had to go back and confess that I had lied to the professor. And it was really humiliating, especially for a little fighter like Steve. We're great excuse makers. We all have them. We all use them. The Bible kind of sums them all up, I think, in Proverbs 26, 13. It's there on the detailed outline that I provided for you. It's this. It says, it says uh, there's a lion, the lazy person claims. There's a lion on the road. Yes, I'm sure there's a lion out there. 
I can't get out of the house. I can't go to work today because there's a lion out there. We all have these made-up lions in our, our minds, and we're lying because of it. There's just no question. And so the Bible is very on to our excuse-making way of living. And perhaps the most damaging, hurtful thing we do is we hang on to our excuses for not excusing people of offending us. And so I want to talk about this specific area of letting go of offenses or letting go of the excuses for not letting go of the offenses. Now, I've been working on this talk all week. It's been very difficult for me. It didn't really come together for me. It may still not have come together for me. I don't know. But I have never had a week where I was offended more by more people that I respected than this particular week. In fact, last night, Bob came over to the house. And he knew I was working on my sermon. He said, Steve, Steve I love it when you preach. Of course, I perked up, you know, because that's uh, just something I love to hear. And, you know, I raised my eyebrows like, go on. Steve, I just love it when you preach. Because it's short. So I've had to, to work through resentment and bitterness at being offended all week long. And, uh, and I just know that I've got butts and you've got butts and things like but But I'll let it go when they ask for forgiveness. But I'll let it go when they deserve it. Or, but you wouldn't let it go if this had happened to you. All sorts of things stand in the way of us experiencing what God wants us to experience. But here is the really big but of Christianity. But Jesus expects us to let it go. In fact, it says in Matthew 6.15, if you don't forgive other people, He's not going to forgive you. So, no matter what we're using, the big but of Christianity is but God expects us to let it go. Instead, we demonize other people and we make them the problem. There's a story of a church where Satan appeared in the, in the, uh, in the pew uh, one Sunday morning. He just showed up and everybody ran for the doors to get away from Satan except for one little old man sitting right down in the front. Satan walked up to him and says, don't you know who I am? He says, yes, I do. Aren't you afraid? He says, no, I am not. And Satan was a little really bugged. He says, why aren't you afraid? He says, because I have been married to your sister for 48 years. <laughs> it's easy to demonize other people. Rather than look at our own stuff, we're out there looking at other people. Now, I, I'm... I'm not talking about excusing things that shouldn't be excused. We had a lady call the, the show today, uh, this week, who said, I watched my husband pack his bag as he went to spend the night with his mistress, mistress, and she said, should I be praying my way through this? And we said, you know, you need to be doing a lot more than just praying your way through this. You need to be taking some action, and you must not stand for this. And that's not the time for uh, excusing or, or forgiving. That's, that's the time for action. But what God calls us to do 
is to be at peace with everybody. We can't control what people do to us or say to us or how they slight us, but we can control our response to it, and that is our responsibility to be at peace with other people. To not take offense at every little thing that comes along. Ephesians 6.15 tells us to put on the shoes of peace. Put on the shoes of peace. Part of our equipment needs to be to walk in peace. 1 Peter 5.14 Search for peace and work to maintain it. And Hebrews 12.14 Work at living at peace. With everyone. That's so different than people that just stir it up all the time. And really, it's a matter of what controls you. Is, is it your sinful nature, your, your ego, and all this stuff? Is that what's in control? Or is it the Holy Spirit that's filling you every day? Listen to this. Romans 8, 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and to peace. We know people that just resent everything. And they are often married to somebody that resents them. And they just have this big resent off every day. Just resentment upon resentment. And that is not what God has called us to. You ever believe that you're just so right about something and, and then you discover you weren't right? I mean... You might remember me talking about this dog we shouldn't have. I mean, I was right about that. But, but there have been so many things that I have been so wrong about that I thought I was so right about. And you know, if we could just let this bizarre thought enter our brain, divorces could be canceled, wars could end, feuds could stop. If this, this radical thought could just come up here and, and we could just think, I could be wrong about this. It's just, it's just radical. I could be wrong. Would you say it with me? I could be wrong about this. Great. It's not that hard to say. You could even say, I absolutely know I'm right. But I could be wrong about this. It's such a, a great thing, but it requires humility. It's powerful. But humility is required to make peace. And so is insight. You know, a, a healthy, mature person has an observing ego that's able to see what they do. They, they're aware of what they do, and you need to have that. A lot of, a lot of people wonder if, if I know that I offend people when I preach. And, and I do know that I do. I just don't care. And, um, but I know it because I sacrificed 5% of the people so that the other 95% of us can stay awake. That's, that's my main priority is just not to bore myself up here. So, but we all need to be aware and we all, uh, we all need to, you know, do whatever to live in peace. Now, 
Reality is, one in four people are mentally ill. Okay, so just count off. You probably are, are you're probably mentally ill. I mean, right back there, you're number four. I mean, really, it's just a fourth of us are nuts. Okay? And that's a problem. But it's not a problem. Yeah, but it, it's not a problem if we know we're crazy. I mean, a person can be literally born to become mentally ill. A, a schizophrenic, it kind of develops in late teens, early 20s, the paranoia, the delusions and stuff comes on, and it, it was just programmed in, and, and most of the time there was somebody in, in the family that had it, and it, it's managed by medication. Other people are molded into their mental illness. If they're raised in a chaotic home or a home where they were abused, or, it doesn't always work out bad, but, but many times people really get in trouble because of the lack of nurture and love in the home. But I think also there's another way. I think a lot of people resent themselves into mental illness. It's their, their coping skill or their coping sin that they use. Because the more I focus on what's wrong with you, the more that I resent you, the more that you bug me, the less I have to focus on me. And that's what it's all about, is I'm scared to death to look at me, so I'm going to look at you. And I'm going to come into this church, and I'm going to evaluate everything here. I'm going to look at that Christmas tree, and I'm going to not say anything about it, because I don't. you're just going to evaluate everything and be judge and jury so that you don't have to think about yourself at all. The Bible has a better way. It's Ephesians 4.2 Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. We're to be bound in peace. That means maybe put on some rose-tinted glasses so that you tend to see the beauty in things, not what's wrong. But rather than rose-tinted glasses, we know people that put on magnifying night goggles so that they don't miss anything, ever. And that's not the way God calls us to live. If you want to live in peace, you have to have two words in your life, accommodation and adaptation. You have to accommodate the imperfections of other people. You have to allow them to be perfect. You have to make allowance for it. And you have to accept them. And then you have to adapt some of your own stuff to be at peace. You have to modify and modulate and humbly live before other people. You can pray to God to change them, or you can pray, God, change me so that I'll be more accepting of the imperfections in life. One of the greatest writers of our day, uh, C.S. Lewis, wrote the book Mere Christianity. Uh, many people have compared my writings to C.S. Lewis, uh, not favorably, but they have... Uh, uh, guy from Alabama said, uh, that ain't nothing like C.S. Lewis. But anyway, um, 
He wrote about the difficulty of transforming, but the need. And he said this, it may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. It would be a jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg. We are like eggs at present. And you cannot go on indefinitely just being an ordinary, decent egg. Listen to this. We must be hatched or go bad. Now, in eggology, that is an irrefutable truth. You either become something else or you go bad. And there's some really good eggs sitting here this morning. Really good eggs. But if you just decide to sit there and be good, and not be hatched and transformed. And the thing that God uses so often to transform us are the imperfect people that we've chosen to spend the rest of our lives with. Or the imperfect people in an imperfect church. So, the offenses will either transform us, hatch us, or they will cause us to go bad. Here's an amazing verse that if we just started our day with this, I think our lives would be so different. Ephesians 4.31 Get rid of all bitterness. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but all is a rather inclusive word. All bitterness, all rage, all anger, all harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Not judgmental, not critical, not easily offended. Accepting our reality that the world is imperfect. Accepting the loss that, that people haven't and never will meet all of our needs. Accepting the responsibility to deal with it. And then accepting the gift of transformation, and even the gift of unleashing someone into a new life because we let it go rather than hold on to it. Someone said that resentment is, is allowing someone to live rent-free up in your head. I don't think so. I think we pay a big price for them living up in our head. And we experience freedom when we start focusing on ourselves and not the slights and hurts of other people. When we look at the reality of day today rather than mulling over the past. I wrote the book Reframe Your Life. It's by far the best book I've ever written and the worst selling book in the history of publishing. But I wrote this on letting go. Choosing to let go is the act of turning your life and will over to God. It is giving up the control that makes us feel so important and keeps us distracted from doing the painful things we need to do to heal and transform our lives. Letting go is trusting God for the results. For many of us who have been taught and trained to take control, Letting go is never easy, but it's one of the most powerful acts of faith 
It is an open acknowledgement of our faith in God. And more than any other action, it allows us to rest, be at peace, and know a life of serenity. Sounds a lot like C.S. Lewis, don't you think? I, I should have written about eggs or something. Anyway, letting go. Jeremiah 6.10. It says that this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road that we want. Today you're going to leave here, you're going to be at a crossroads. You're going to have the the chance to take a godly path, a more difficult path where you let things go or you're going to go down another path where you're easily offended. And um, you may be thinking that you have an excuse. It's a valid excuse not to let it go. You may think it's beyond anything that anybody else could let go. Well, I want to show you a video, if that's what you're thinking. I want to show you a video that might help you understand that any of us can let it go in God's power. Watch this. We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow, she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done.
Yes, he murdered my son. But the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself. And I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Yes, I'm grateful. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience of one. Steve Hartman, CBS News, Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. She found peace. Um, she did the impossible. The Bible tells us that what's impossible with people is possible with God. It tells us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And when we do it, when we let it go, sometimes it unleashes a person into a process of healing and transformation that spreads to the rest of the world. Oh, we think we're, we're going to change somebody. We're going to fix them. What we need is to let it go and let them go into God's hands. St. Augustine was um, such a profound influence on the Christian faith. He had a hard time letting things go and surrendering to God, and he ends up writing, How long shall I go on saying, Tomorrow, tomorrow? Why not now? Why not make an end of my ugly sins at this moment? For some people, letting go can be done in an instant. For some, it's a process. But why wait? until tomorrow to begin that process. Matter of fact, somewhere in the world, it's already tomorrow. So if you're waiting for tomorrow, this is the perfect time to begin to let it go. Resentment and bitterness, well, they're the gifts that just keep on taking. And all of us have been given a gift from God that we can pass on to another person. Unleash them and you free yourself. Let it go. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and forgiveness for us. Help us to be people of peace. Help us to make peace. Search for peace. Keep peace. Let this be a time of peace on our little piece of earth. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you help me bless God for such an awesome message on letting it go.
Thank you, Pastor Steve. Um, really ask a question of each of us. Um, what are we what are we holding on to? What what do we need to let go? Is it possible that the things that we're holding on to are actually the same things that's holding us back, holding us back from our destiny? And so the awesome thing about church is uh, you don't have to figure those things out by yourself. You don't have to walk alone. Uh, we will have pastors and ministers here to pray with you. And as a matter of fact, in just a few minutes, we're going to conclude our service with prayer. And uh, pastors and ministers will be up here at the front. And so if there's something that you're struggling with, some difficulty or some uh, tough circumstance, whether it's because of the holidays or otherwise, uh, they'll be here to pray with you. We will be here to pray with you as we all attempt to let it go. As we all attempt to let it go. Before that, it's offering time. This is another opportunity for us to let it go, an opportunity to uh, bless God uh, with his tithes and our offerings. Uh, And so you can do so uh, with uh, uh, the offering envelope uh, that is in your bulletin, and all you have to do is just place it uh, in the boxes that are in the rear. You can also fill out, if you are a first-time guest, or uh, if you have questions, or if you'd like to volunteer, uh, you can also fill out the response card, and you can put that also uh, in the box uh, in the rear. Uh, if you are a first-time guest, thank you so much for coming. You're in the right place at the right time, uh, and uh, we would love to get an opportunity to meet you and to high-five uh, you or to fist pound you or to hug your neck out in the lobby and we're such great huggers here at Heartland and so we would love to do that immediately after the service uh, in the lobby please let us know uh, that you're a first time guest so that we can give you an extra tight squeeze uh, for being here um, we're about to conclude our service we just wanted to remind you uh, that uh, this is uh, an awesome opportunity for you to take one of the love indie boxes uh, they talked about it in the announcements next Sunday we will return the love indie boxes and then we will have them taken over to Shepherd's community and otherwise and so uh, you'll see them lined up uh, on the sides of our sanctuary and we would love for you to take if you have not already done so take a love indie box and fill it with your non-perishable items so that we can bless others. That's what ministry is all about, serving the needs of others. God bless you. Would you stand as we're concluding our services? Allow me to speak these blessings over your life. They come from 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter and the 14th verse. Very simply, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all until we meet again. Amen. Amen. Would you find somebody, hug them and tell them you love them? God bless you. Keep coming back.